You are listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders, for that moment in your career when the book stops with you. This is your window into the world of how to lead successfully. Now, over to your host, James Nagel. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for leaders taking over a new role. I'm your host, James Nagel, and my guest today is Nick Sedgwick. Nick is the new Regional Director of Health for UK and Ireland at Reckitt. He started out selling Smarties with Nestle, a great first job. He has worked in commercial and strategic roles with Reckitt, Vodafone, Cody, and is now back at Reckitt. His LinkedIn profile says that he enjoys fast-paced cultures, thrives on challenges, and learns very quickly, which may explain his decision to return. He considers general management the best job you can do. Still in his first 90 days in his reincarnation at Reckitt, he's an ideal guest for the show. So it's my pleasure to introduce Nick Sedgwick. Hi, Nick. Hi, James. How are you? Very good today. Looking forward to this. Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been several years since we uh, we were back at Reckitt or RB or Reckitt Benkiza, whichever one you want to call it. Yeah, probably my last memory of you is during a, a top-to-top training and the uh, the tables were reversed, so you were on the uh, on the account side, and I was on the supplier side, and you <laughs> you put me through my uh, my marks that day. So, look, I guess let's start with the obvious question, Nick. Um, why why go back to Reckitt? For me, um, Reckitt was the place where I enjoyed the most. It was really uh, a good fit for me. I like high energy, high pace environments. I like getting things done. I like working with highly motivated, very talented people who are prepared to go the extra mile to to make things happen. But um, I, I left Reckitt because it was changing uh, to a more political type culture, and that's not really my style. I'm very sort of uh, plainly spoken. I call a spade a spade, uh, and I care passionately about people. So uh, about a year ago, I saw a few things on LinkedIn around diversity and inclusion, looking after people during the pandemic. And I could see that record was changing. So I uh, asked a couple of uh, ex-colleagues, is this just uh, nice stuff to be putting on LinkedIn or is this actually real and it's and the business is changing? And they said, yes, it's clearly not perfect, but the business is definitely changing. The senior leadership have changed and there is a clear uh, motivation to change the way that the business behaves and also the way that it looks after its people and uh, also the environment as well, which is important for me. So that sort of got me thinking, is it is it time to go back? And uh, the, the look was on my side. Things worked out in my favor and uh, I uh, rejoined in March and I'm living it uh, in my first sort of two months. So the energy is still high. That's good. It's the energy is always high. It's uh, there are some things at, at Reckitt you, that never change. So it's always a hundred miles an hour. The the, the key critical thing I, I learned at my time there was no one can do a hundred percent of their job. They can probably do sixty to seventy percent at best. And it's how you make sure you're focusing on the right stuff, and you you don't sweat the small stuff and drop that. You focus on the big things, execute them well. And, and really make a change. And, and that's sort of been the record model f- for a long time. And uh, that's quite um, motivating and also empowering for, for the teams because they can really be entrepreneurial, go make things happen. So look, you're 
obviously very familiar with the organization, the culture, the brands, and you've come in as the as in the hot seat in the in the top role. So beyond you know the classic growing revenue, growing share, growing the organization, how would you define the challenge that you have right now? Yeah, the, the business I left versus the business I came back to uh, is, is quite different from a scale perspective. So uh, the business is now split into three uh, separate divisions. The health division is, is very large in the UK uh, and has a lot of brands. Uh, so one of the challenges is trying to manage that, that complex portfolio. Because it's healthcare, each brand needs a lot of TLC uh, to make sure that it's complying with regulations uh, and making sure that we are, uh, from a quality perspective, always uh, high, etc. So there is a lot of basic work to be done. Uh, but the challenge that I see uh, for this portfolio is how do we take a few brands and really accelerate them significantly, which is sort of the record way. You, you focus on fewer, bigger, better, uh, and make sure that we sustainably outperform uh, because the market is globally in growth. Uh, it's an, an our mantra is obviously we need to outperform that. So it's how we do that on a uh, not a boom or bust basis, but a consistent, sustainable, uh, steady outperformance over time. And obviously that then will deliver both top and bottom line performance. And have you, that's all, that's all makes sense. And have you thought in terms of, you know, a definition of success or your legacy letter so that, you know, in a few years, hence when all goes well, what, what will they have said that Nick Nick Cedric brought to the, the organization? So I, I've come back into the organization. I'm seeing lots of people doing lots of small things. Uh, so the, the team beneath me is about 370 people. Uh, so I'm, I'm imagining and seeing myself in the future, 370 people being much more effective than they are today. It's not to say that they're not effective today, but I think there's lots of scope and opportunity to really go that extra mile without working the extra hours. So I think there, there's an efficiency opportunity to, to really drive and also an effectiveness opportunity. Uh, and I'm very uh, non-hierarchical. So I, I will talk to anyone. I will engage with anyone as well. I want to create a culture where um, it is very open and but also challenging because if, if we challenge each other, we generally come with a better solution. And also if we bring in uh, a diverse group of ideas and a diverse group of individuals, we also get better solutions out of the back of it. So what I want to sort of leave is a real high-performing team who don't need me anymore. And they're, they're, they're sort of self-sufficient and really can uh, we, we bring uh, a talent, a, a huge amount of talent up through the business. And, and another key uh, KPI for me is some of my team get elevated into more senior positions and progress their careers again within RB wreck it so um so i'm much uh, i'm very passionate about making sure that people are um excelling motivated and also stretched in what they're doing so they're constantly growing and learning and how would you characterize the situation clearly the business is you know big and and, and quite mature you know is it sustaining success is it accelerating growth is it a realignment or is it a turnaround you know because that that then defines what sort of a role you need to play if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to test your own readiness for the hot seat then take the leadership readiness scorecard details in the show notes and on swimnotsync.com
Yeah, it's uh, it's not a turnaround. It's it's very different to the previous role I had at Cota, which was completely a turnaround. So Reckitt, the, the brands are all performing incredibly well. I've never seen so much green on the market share charts. Um, the, the trick for us, though, is uh, the markets due to COVID have been incredibly volatile. So a brand like Dettol, which is our largest brand, has been a huge growth over the past year as obviously people's hygiene habits change. But there has been no cold flu season. So brands like Lemsip or Strepsils or even Neurofen to some extent have suffered because they've grown in the category from a share perspective, but the category has been massively mm-hmm. down. So it's a very interesting portfolio to manage because each brand and each category has a very unique set of circumstances. And as a as a leader style, if I can ask you, I read something interesting, the dichotomy between someone who's a hero leader, so great in a, in a crisis or in a turnaround, and others who are more, you know, stewards. What, what would your profile be? Uh, I've been given feedback that I'm calm in a storm. I'm a mathematician by trade, so I'm very logical and analytical, uh, and, and uh, I'm a good reader of people so I can understand and empathize with them where, where their heads are at. But uh, I think it's really important, particularly in, in sort of times of crisis, that the leadership are being stable and clear about what they want and getting people to focus on one thing at once because it's very easy to try and do everything. And that doesn't work because people just get uh, caught between too many priorities. It's very much a focus on, right, let's do the, the biggest thing first. And once we've cracked that, we'll get on to the next one. And also be able to show um, uh, small wins as you go to give people the confidence that the direction that you're taking them in is the right one. So it's it's not it's sort of a, a hero, but not from the front, if that makes sense. I'm very happy to stand at the back. Uh, I, I say to my teams regularly, I don't sell anything. I don't market anything. You are the guys who do the work. I'm here to help enable you to do that as effectively as you can and challenge you to, to improve. Yeah, you, you've said that already. You, you plan to make yourself redundant. So uh, yeah. <laughs> now, between the challenge and what you bring to it, the, the, there seems to be a good match. But where's the stretch then for you? Like what, what's the excitement and, and where are you developing personally? So for me, the um, the stretch is around a uh, – it's, it's more of a portfolio challenge this time than I've had in, in previous roles. Uh, so managing the breadth becomes more of a challenge. And also being able to unlock growth in a highly regulated market. There is a real challenge there on how you consistently drive out performance. And the way to do that, what I'm trying to do is tap into the what I described the traditional record culture of real – entrepreneurship, getting people in a room saying, this is the challenge. I will uh, I will sort of metaphorically lock the door and come out when you fix it. And and the people love that. The guys absolutely love that, uh, the teams. And they they like a challenge. They love uh, delivering against a challenge that they real feel like they're winners. And that's super motivating and empowering. So um, my, my overall challenge is how do I unleash their minds. I've got 369 minds that I want to unlock and let them sort of run amok, if, if that makes sense. And, and let's see where we go. I think the journey is more interesting than the end point. And are there, are there any rooms where you've not let them out? <laughs> uh, not yet. I mean, it's, it's two months. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still sort of getting my feet under the table. I've done a lot of one-to-ones. Uh, clearly, with the, the situation with COVID, I spent a lot of time, not just with my direct reports, but with 
two or three levels down. So probably two thirds of my week has been spent in one-to-ones. The reason for that is I want to get my feet under the table, understand the business super quickly. Uh, I, I ask three very simple questions. The first one is what three things is the business doing well? In other words, do I not touch or try and make better? What three things would you fix? In other words, what are the problems that are alive? And very quickly, you understand from people where the pain points are in the business. And then the third one is more about their mindset. So when did you last fail and why? And what did you do about it? The reason for that is sometimes people uh, think of a performance culture or a high-performing culture as you're always winning, you're always delivering. That is not, for me, a high-performing culture. That's a culture that's playing safe because if you're always delivering, it probably means your targets are too low. So the uh, the interesting um, sort of position I'd like to throw into into the team at RB is around uh, the growth mindset. And are you hearing different answers in those one to ones than you might have heard ten years ago? Yeah. So the, the thing the things that are the same are they consistently say people are great. They uh, are really um, ambitious, but ambitious together. They want to win together. People don't trample over other people at wreck it to, to get ahead. That's not appreciated. Uh, and the quality is, is very, very good. So people who've come in externally have compared, obviously, versus their previous companies, and they are pleasantly surprised by the quality of people at wreck it. So that's one of the, the consistencies that hasn't changed. What has changed is we used to be really big bang innovation driven. And it didn't matter which brand it was. There was usually one brand a year that had probably two brands that had big innovations that as a market you would get behind and really go and execute massively. And that would be how you would win for that year. Uh, You would obviously support everything else and you'd be in year two of other innovations, et cetera. But it was really about that mindset. What I've seen since coming back is some of those innovations aren't there anymore or, or they've already happened. So it's now harder as a business to really find those those big bets to really get behind. And you've got to be very careful not to get into sort of um, sweating the small stuff, launching really small innovations because you think you need one, as opposed to really um, focusing on the things that will make a difference, like how can I drive more distribution points? How can I uh, optimize my promotions to make sure that the customers and consumers are satisfied, but we're able to drive more revenue, et cetera. So it's a lot of the basics that we need to get back to, I think. So look, it's the Swim Not Sink podcast, right? Um, and so let's turn a little bit to the, those times. You you said something. Oh, very I've important. got plenty. I've got plenty. You said you said that one of the sort of uh, characteristics you have is you're calm in a storm. So tell us a few of the storms you've encountered over the last what nearly ten years, and and, and what you learned from those. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go sort of in reverse order. So. Prior to this role, I was at Coty, managing their UK consumer beauty division, which is the biggest division of the three in the UK. Um, Coty as a business has some amazing brands, but it it couldn't quite work out what it wanted to do with them. So uh, there were lots of changes in strategy from a a corporate and global level, changing, therefore changing priorities. Therefore, by the time it gets to the market, you're constantly changing your activity plans, investing behind some brands and then pulling it away, et cetera. So it was misfiring a lot of the time. What I learned from there is uh, if you are not clear on where you want to go to, you're never going to win. So 
the challenge that we had was we were constantly course correcting, but we didn't have a final sort of end game and a plan to get there. And that then became very challenging because of the size of the market and the size of the brands, there's huge pressure on us to deliver the results. The results weren't coming because of lots of various reasons, uh, underinvested brands in, in several years, not clear on strategy or innovation wasn't necessarily thought through. And that basically meant that we're missing the numbers every month. And I'm, I'm, I came up through the sales side. Uh, so for me to be missing the numbers, it was very challenging mentally, mm-hmm. but also for the whole of the team, they're all generally very successful people. And I had countless uh, discussions with them where they would say, this is the first time in my life where I'm really struggling. I feel like I'm not winning. And I'm saying, don't worry, it's just the circumstances. Everything's going to be fine. We'll get through it, et cetera. Uh, after about 18 months, that sort of external talk reversed back into me. And I suddenly thought, hold on a minute, I've been going at this for 18 months and it's not getting any better. In fact, it's probably getting worse. So I started having self-doubts about, am I the right person to be in this business? Because I'm normally very, generally very successful. Uh, I've got a great reputation. People like working with me, but suddenly people are leaving the business on a weekly basis. And that wasn't Due to me, it was due to the circumstances and people just lost faith in the business. It was a really, really mentally challenging time. Uh, and I had to do a lot of soul searching. I was commuting at that point as well, um, about an hour and 45 minutes each way. So I had a lot of time to think about what was going on and trying to work it out. And I, I, I came to the conclusion that I was uh, negatively sort of self-talking myself down. And, and feeling a bit woe is me and the pressure's too much and I can't handle it. And uh, I realized that that was actually sort of self-perpetuating. So I had to jump myself out of it and say, right, what can you do? What are the positives you can bring? And get myself onto a positive spiral and sort of give myself some positive self-talk to prove that, yes, I can make a change and I can make positive differences. Um, we also then had a big strategic review to decide what we want to do with the business uh, and by managing those two together uh, and, and reading books like uh, Mindset, I've already mentioned, I realized that I had the opportunity to turn the business around. We were then clear on where we wanted to go. I then had a big job to try and turn people's uh, perceptions of the business around that we can win and we were going to win and we were clear. So it was very, um, it was a huge turnaround story, but it got very low in the middle. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been an observer from outside on that one. How quickly in your time in Cody did you realize you were on the Titanic? Um, it was probably six to nine months in. Okay. Because, because the, the, the reason is the, the beauty business or the mass cosmetics business, which was mainly, mainly the business I was in, uh, was very driven by some of the high, seat, high street drug chains like Boots and Superdrug. In fact, they, they were around three quarters of the total cosmetic, mass cosmetics business. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't winning with those two, you had an issue. So we would be having regular top-to-tops with my counterparts at those two businesses. And they were saying, you're a big chunk of my category, but you're, you're rapidly declining, and therefore you're pulling me down as well. You have to turn this around. And so the message was very clear what I felt at the time was I didn't have the uh, the weapons, if you like, to go out and win because we were cutting investment. We were managing for the bottom line because we obviously had to deliver uh, 
profits. And it was a, it was a self-fulfilling downward spiral uh, that we had to find a way to get out of, which was why the strategic review helped because that gave us very clear rationale and reason to, why to invest in the business and turn the business around. So to go back to something you said, which I think is really interesting, you know, you said that for the first period you were saying, well, look, guys, it's a context outside, you know, let's keep working on it. And then there was a point where you went, hang on, it's a problem me. Now, that's the whole essence of being the leader. Yeah. You know, the box stops with you. So given you were working in a very tough context, how did you manage yourself through that? Because you have to set an example for the others. But as you say yourself, on that one hundred one hour 45 commute, <laughs> you were that feeling was, pretty low. So it was, it was, it was very difficult. Uh, uh, I became very grumpy and irritable at home. I wasn't a nice person to live with, basically, because I was in a very negative mindset. When I got to the office, as I was walking physically up the steps to go into the building, I would say to myself, right, you owe this to them. Put your game face on. Go in, smile, and and show that uh, things are going to get better. And so that's also mentally draining because you're you're acting to some extent to try and to try and uh, not make the situation worse. If you go in all gloomy and they're looking at you as the boss, they'll make their own minds up and leave anyway, and therefore it exacerbates the situation. So that was that was quite telling. But um, also, it's it's a little bit difficult because I'm very authentic as a leader. I don't I don't sort of play games and put faces on generally. So for me, that was quite difficult to do. But also, uh, from time to time, I would show that I was vulnerable and I was having a hard time. And uh, people would ask me if I was okay. So I knew my guard had dropped because they were suddenly asking me as opposed to assuming everything was okay and uh, bringing energy into the business. So mentally, it is a very, very hard place to try and sustain positive energy when you feel like you're in a situation where you can't win. I'm sure it's a very tough one also to decide when to leave Mm. because there's loyalties in in lots of different directions. So how did you, you know, from, from, 18 months realizing you were in the Titanic <laughs> to when you left, how, how did you come to that point of, okay, I've done what I can here? Yeah, I uh, once we kicked off the review and we started to implement that and, and people could see, wow, we've turned the corner. So Rimmel, which is the number one uh, cosmetics brand in the UK, after several years of, of shared decline or stagnation at best, we ended up with 16 months of share growth month on month so it was very clear from from the early days that the 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 changes that we've made were winning and suddenly the whole atmosphere changes so rather than people believing you and and taking and trusting you that things are going to get better they suddenly see delivery of some of those steps and the whole mood changes you suddenly feel like yes we are winning and, and, and the competitive nature comes out more and, and it, it sort of it builds that way. So I, I was sort of two thirds of the way through this process and, and, and coming out the other side. And uh, I wanted to finish the, the, the journey because for me personally, I'm very, uh, I'm very proud and want to make sure that I leave things in a, in a good state when I, I do move on. So that was, that was one. The business again with COVID clearly uh, globally uh, the business will make lots of money out of places like uh, travel retail. The business was under massive pressure and therefore it had to go into uh, a cost, re- uh, cost reduction exercise. 
and sort of the investment that we piped in and to generate growth on the brands was suddenly being removed again. And I just thought, I don't want to be in, uh, do another three years of this. I can probably do it and help the company out, but it's not going to do anything for me. And I'd like to go do something else. Do you have another sink or swim? You mentioned something with Vodafone. Yeah, um, Vodafone. So the interesting thing for me, um, I'm a massive believer in having the right culture. So you can have the best job in the world, but if you're in the wrong culture, uh, it's going to be a nightmare because you're just not going to be happy. Uh, and vice versa, if you don't have a great job, but you're in a great culture with great people around you, you can actually take the positive out of that and can build and, and move on into, into a different job that is more suited to you. Uh, what I learned at Vodafone was Vodafone's a very highly bureaucratic, political, uh, to some extent, it, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's hugely successful, but can be dysfunctional at times just because the way it's structured and, and the way that the, the businesses overlap with each other. And there's quite a lot of um, uh, sort of line drawing and say, this is my part, leave me alone. And, and, and lots of other people are, are trying to sort of impinge on your area. I just didn't enjoy that whole environment because it was, it was not about people getting together, winning together, making things happen. Um, and I talk about that's why one of the record culture uh, key elements that brought me back Vodafone was much more political than that. It was it was more about trying to make yourself look good to some extent, put up for two and a half years, but then I realised I was never going to be happy there. So I, I decided to move on and, and, and join coaching. So it's interesting if you can tie those two experiences together, uh, because m- many people who've been in a company for a while think about the grass is greener. Yeah. And they, and they move for the change. So for any people who are listening uh, to us today who are thinking about an external move, what would be the questions or the, the checklist that you, that you would advise them to go through? Yeah. Most importantly, do your homework. It's really important to know what you're walking into. Um, don't get too hung up on your, on your future boss because bosses change. It's much more important to see whether the culture fits with you. So try and, uh, talk to your network, anyone who's worked there previously, anyone who's working there currently, even if they're not in a department or anywhere close to you, will be able to tell you exactly how the business works. Understand what works for you. So for me, I like uh, high pace. I prefer pace over perfection, or I call it, uh, I prefer excellence versus perfection. Uh, some people like to do everything 100%. Uh, so understanding how the company makes decisions, what sort of what level of uh, data does it need to be able to make decisions? What happens when things go wrong? So give me an example of when, when things go, went wrong. What happened? Did you all club together? Did it become a blame game? Uh, and, and how does the business cope with failure? Because it's really interesting to understand that to, to when the pressure's on, you, you really see how people perform. And, uh, and when things happen for an, a negative reason you really get to understand how the business works and how people think so first and foremost do your homework on actually what the culture of the business is like most of the other things when you get there you can change i think it's great advice but building on something that a previous guest had said his comment was that not all companies actually have cultures Hmm. they might be in a transition to one yeah but it, you know, it depends on the on the. On, but on but the, for me, that, that, that also is an interesting element because if you're in transition, 
you have to be very good at, or, or shall we say, uh, capable at navigating uncertainty because you'll be transitioning from, even if the culture is not defined on a piece of paper previously and the new one is, you're still transitioning from one way of working and one way of behaving to another. And to be able to navigate that is always a challenge. Uh, so being being comfortable with the uncomfortable is probably a good way of describing it, that you, you don't mind uh, ambiguity. Uh, you, you clearly look for clarity where you can, but also being able to sort of navigate through and just try and do the right thing based on the, the scenario that you're in um, and, and be aware of where the business is trying to move to make sure that you're, you're not swimming against the tide and you, you're, you're going with it. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I think I think it's maybe helpful to just let people know that it's not always clear that you'll get a simple answer to that question of what is the culture. Yeah. Uh, invariably, there will be a transition going on. There's also um, I talked a little bit about micro cultures. So in each parts of the business, they will have their own culture. So the local lead team will behave in a certain way, and that will shadow down onto the rest of the organization. That might be completely different to another team that sit on the floor below. So you might even be in the same building, but you can have very different cultures. And that, to some extent, was what it was like at Coty. So, Nick, as we, as we come to the end, is there any parting advice or something we haven't covered, which is basically advice for those that are on the cusp of the hot seat or who are, you know, have just taken over a hot seat role? Listen, don't do anything quickly. Um, ask loads of questions. And really uh, make sure you're embedded in the organization, but also be very clear with your style. So the first thing I do when I join a business, I do a big town hall. I explain who I am, what my background is, where I've been, uh, what my family's like, what my interests are. So they get to know a bit about me, but also sort of my principles. So uh, I mentioned uh, speed over perfection. Uh, uh, promise to deliver and deliver what you promise. Um, I don't mind. I don't mind bad news. Just bring it early. No late surprises. So I've got a, a list of them that I just say. This is how I operate. This is how I like to operate. And if you work with me, I'll support you to to as much as you want in in your careers and, and outside of your outside of work if you want. So really. Get to know your people. And the other thing I, I do on my one-to-one, some people say, well, why are you coming to talk to me? I'm like, I'm a brand manager, and you're like four levels above me. I say, well, uh, I can't expect people to walk through walls for me if I don't even know their name. And it's just a very simple thought, and it's, it's sort of common courtesy that uh, I would love you to all work hard for me, but I, I want to get to know you as an individual as well because I want to support you in your career. And if sort of that idea of servant leadership is really useful particularly when you go into new businesses because you can you can rock up as the new boy and think you know everything and you will fall flat very quickly so go in be humble listen and then once you've heard enough of a a feeling of what's going on go back and tell them this is what i've heard this is what i think we should do about it and then be really really clear that those first few actions are delivered because then you build trust and show them that you will, you, if they talk to you, you will take action. Look, Nick, thanks a lot, especially because you've agreed to do this in the uh, in the first ninety days, which clearly is a is a super hectic time. So once again, thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast. Subscribe at swimnotsink.com forward slash podcast.